We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lundberg skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. Hey, Pacer Nation, thank you so much for stopping by Setting the Pace. Before we get into today's podcast, just wanted to let everybody know that me and Fachi recorded the episode around 5.30 this afternoon, so we did it before the game. Yes, I know. We did not get any of the comments from Nate Bjorkren that he said to Scott Agnes talking about the whole situation. And then Jay Michael put out a really good article on the Indy Star breaking down the whole entire season and the whole situation with Nate Bjorkren. So, if you haven't been able to get a hold of that article, make sure you do it. It's a really good article. Highly recommend it. Lots of great information in there. But we did share our thoughts on the whole situation and what we think the team should do going forward. So hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Here's my conversation with my co-host, Mike Focci. Pacer Nation, we have got a lot to talk about today. And I am joined, of course, by my lovely co-host, Michael J. Focci, who just got back from a nice little vacation. Focci, we feeling refreshed? I'm feeling refreshed, but I came back to some drama, Alex. Woe's dropping a true Woe's bomb that there is trouble in. I don't want to call it paradise because it's anything like that. But (laughs) we have some drama on our hands in the Nate Bjorkman situation. Yeah, so let's kind of unwrap this a little bit at a time because I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of different ways I want to go with this. But first things first, um, this report coming out of nowhere – 1040 something on a on a tuesday night no like introduction just basically comes out with that with that tweet and everyone's like what in the world like we had heard rumblings all season long uh, throughout the season about there being some 
you know, unsatisfied players, very frustrated with the whole entire situation of losing so many games. But I I just have to ask you, Foch, where do you think this report's coming from? It's got to be coming from internally because think about the Patriots have always been a team that has been, you know, hush, hush. They've kept things internally. But now when you start to really look at how this season has been and you connect the dots, I, I do think that, you know, I wouldn't say that it's players releasing this information, but I would say it's the players' you know? agents. Okay. I think it's, yeah, yeah okay. I, I, I strongly do. I think that this is coming from, chances are, probably Sabonis' agent, maybe Brogdon's agent. I do think it's Sabonis. See, I, I think it, I, I'm going to push back because I think it's Malcolm Brogdon. But, I mean, this is me putting my tinfoil hat on because, look, I mean, Sabonis is having a career year offensively mm-hmm. now defensively he's been made to look absolutely ridiculous in the in the role they put him in and and honestly this defense has been just tacky but I find it very strange that um let me just let me back up real quick because sure. I remember when the Pacers acquired Malcolm Brogdon from Milwaukee I talked to somebody who had sources um with the Milwaukee Bucks being a part of their G League affiliate and basically what they told me was that the ownership and Brogdon don't get along um Brogdon basically was not a priority that's why they didn't want to keep him in the first place like it was obviously a a tough move because of how impactful he was for their team you know being that third fourth guy that they had at the time but they were not afraid to move on from him because you know they thought that he kind of rubbed the ownership the wrong way and then he comes to the Pacers as he wants to be the point guard gets in to this, you know, massive praise, this great relationship with Nate McMillan. Like when we talked about it, he was always praising McMillan. He went on Twitter and congratulated him on his extension. Then the bubble happened. They get swept, and he's like, oh, I want a coaching change. This year comes, he calls Nate Bjorkren a basketball genius. He He talks about how great he is. When everything's going well, Brockton's like, I like this guy. Boom, all of a sudden, their defense hits the crapper. They lose Victor Oladipo and Karis LeVert with injuries and TJ Warren. They just start losing a bunch of games, and now he's unsatisfied with how everything's going. Look, none of this drama really was happening with the Pacers before Brogdon got here. Sabonis was not like this. Now, now Vic, I don't really know what happened with Vic. Uh, we know Paul George wanted out. There's a lot of reasons there. I think Paul just saw the roster and how much it had been turned over by Bird. He wanted a new you know, change of scenery, but – Vic, I mean, yeah, he was more focused on other things. But I think Brogdon, I mean, he's like got the ear of Kevin Pritchard or something because Kevin Pritchard pretty much like, oh, yeah, you know, if it's coming from Brogdon, like they take it very seriously. We've heard him say that. So to to me, frankly, Sabonis has never been a guy that's really been that vocal about things. The only thing he ever was vocal about was I want to start two years ago. That's the only thing we've really heard from him. He's a very quiet guy. But Brogdon has been very well known to speak, and I think it's – I think that's him uh, kind of being the lead vocalist uh, of his unhappiness with uh, Nate Bjorkman. You definitely made some great points there because, you know, we, we did hear that, you know, when things went south with, you know, McMillan and Brogdon, it, it seemed like it was like, okay, you know, Brogdon definitely seemed like the name that we heard that was very unhappy there. But it, it's just hard to, to have, you know, Pritchard come on our show and just tell us that Brogdon and Bjorkman eat lunch together all the time and it seemed like they were inseparable and this this and that but I 
losing it, it changes things. It, it exactly. really does. I mean, and that's it's wearing on these players. I do believe if the players that are unhappy, I mean, I, I, in my opinion, it's got to be Sabonis. It's got to be Brogdon. And obviously Aaron Holiday. Now, how, how much is Aaron Holiday's opinion really being you know factored in? Maybe not so much. But I definitely think that Brogdon and Sabonis are the two guys to look at here. And both of them are having career years. They yeah. are. But I just – I hope that this isn't going to be the situation where, you know – look, the, the Pacers said they're trying to be a player-first organization, really listen to the players, inform them if there's any trade talks or anything. They might have informed these players, you know, Brogdon specific, that he was being shopped at the deadline and he might have went to his agent to kind of get that information out there. But I do think this is a very strategic move to have this information get out there with like eight games to go in the regular season. And it feels like now all of a sudden, I mean, this is a hot seat for Bjorkren. And, you know, I I feel like fans now aren't as split as they were before because sure, it wasn't an ideal situation for Bjorkren. It wasn't. But what we're seeing defensively, is atrocious. Yeah. No one is being held accountable. And then when we're starting to hear and we read the article that he's a bit of a micromanager, a bit of an over-communicator, a very analytically driven, those type of things could get very stale and fall on deaf ears very quick when losing is this, you know, apparent and this common. Yeah. And I think that right now it, it's a bad move. It's one thing to be losing. It's a whole other thing to be losing and lose the locker room. And that is giving me, you know, that that feeling of uh, John Beeline in Cleveland. And when he lost that locker room, it was over. They, yeah. they sent him packing. And his deal was a lot longer than Bjorkren's. Yeah. Well, let me just say this because I think that's a great point you bring up. Obviously, what Beeline said, you know, that whole thing definitely did not go yeah, over well. It wasn't good with that group, right? It was not well thought out, whether it was a mistake or not. It is what it is at that point. But what I will say here, Foch, look, a lot of people say, oh, they, you know, because none of us really expected like, oh, yeah, they're going to fire him after this year. They're going to give him another chance is what everybody thought. And I, I kept saying to myself, like, this year was not good. I, I think they'll give him one more year. And if it's another year like this, then they're going to can him. But quite frankly, I don't think the fan base or the front office could handle another season like this. I don't think so. So, so honestly, it, it might be tacky. It might be a little bit distasteful. But I think at this point, with these reports coming out, he's apparently lost a locker room, has a lot of relationships to mend. I don't just think it's Sabonis and Brogdon. I think there's other guys that are unhappy. Probably number one with the level of minutes they're getting probably level you know, number two, the, the amount of wins that they're not getting and how bad they've been in fourth quarters and how bad their defenses look like. I think this is partially an X's and O thing, but I think this is much more about personnel and relationship. And, you know, they wanted McMillan gone. That's the bottom line. They wanted a new coach, and I think that's completely fine. Moving on from McMillan and hiring Bjorkren, both those things, you know, I mean, moving on from McMillan is a good thing. You know, it's not a bad thing is what I'm trying to say. Like, it was the right time. And nobody can go back and say, oh, they should have kept him for another year. Like, it still would have been the same results a different day. But you, you might have missed out on Bjorkren, okay? So it is what it is at this point. I told you I didn't want to make any observations or make too much out of it this year because of – it being a weird season, a lot of injuries, COVID, all that. But the Pacers haven't really been hit by COVID. So no, least affected team by COVID. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing they've done successful this season. Exactly. You know, 
So, so honestly, to me, when I look at this, I'm sitting back. I'm like, look, they, there's no way they can bring him back after this gets leaked. It's to me, it sounded like they were setting us up to let us know, hey, this is going to happen. Um, I don't know who released the information. I think either one, they're setting us up for that, or two, a player is trying to push that you know envelope to say, hey, this guy's got to go. And quite frankly, if it is a locker room issue, there's no reason to just not rip the Band-Aid off right now, get it done with, move on. I, I'm sorry, it might be distasteful. And whoever you know, is his agent, if there's players of that, that are with that agent and they decide not to come to Indiana, that's whatever. It's a business at the end of the day. It is. And, you know, it's like if you're in a relationship and you're dating a girl and you're like, man, this hasn't been very fun, but I'm going to give it another year to see if we can figure it out. It's like, no, if you know it's not working out, just move on and find somebody new. You'll both be better off. And, and quite frankly, the Pacers don't have time to keep wasting because the core that they have right now is in their prime. And if you continue to keep doing these experimental coaches – you know, and hold on to stuff and worry about injuries and hope that everybody gets healthy, then you're just going to be stuck in no man's land. No, it's true. But this was a major strikeout by the front office. And it's rough because with eight games to go, I mean, and you hear these reports, Bjorken potentially coaching for his job. He's not going to switch anything up. He's going to be coaching to win. And it's just going to make it that more painful that, you know, the Pacers could go – you know, as hard as it, you know, whatever whatever you want to say, it, you know, just 100 miles per hour at trying to make, you know, the eighth seed or the ninth. It, it's just it's not good at all. You would love to have these remaining eight games to be able to get a better evaluation on Cassius Stanley and some of the younger guys. And unfortunately, it's like we're being stripped of all that due to the injuries to Goga. I mean, Stanley's still not playing. They're going to try and do everything they can to win and just – by some of the numbers, I mean, Alex, this Pacers defense has given up 129 points or more 11 times this year in just over 60 games. Bad, bro. Uh, they have 16 losses by double digits, and that doesn't include the blowouts where we made it close to make it appear like we were in the game on the box score. So, yeah. I mean, it's been bad. And just to sum it up, I feel like the Pacers have been the team – that beats the worst teams. They typically do not lose to the bottom feeders in the NBA. But I don't even really remember the last quality win from the Pacers. I mean, to be honest, it's been a long time. I know we had success against Memphis. I, I guess I feel like they were burnt out at the end of a, a long, you know, a long homestand. And other than that, I'm thinking Phoenix back in early March. I, I would mean, say the double Miami wins. The double Miami wins. Okay, Friday, okay. Friday, Sunday, so, yeah. and then they had the nice win in Dallas, but Luka didn't play, so it's he, like – You can't count it. Yeah, know? so I get what you're saying, and, and to it's go been on – a long time. And just to go off of what you were saying number-wise for this season, I put a tweet out yesterday. They allow the, the most second-chance points in the entire NBA. They allow the second-most points in the paint. They're 23rd in defensive rebounding and have the worst defensive rebounding percentage in the NBA, so – you know, playing this fast-paced basketball is, is all cute and stuff, but if you're unable to keep guys off the glass and you're giving the other team multiple possessions, don't matter how fast you play. If the other team has 12 or 15 more possessions a game than you, that means they're getting more shots than you, which means they're going to probably beat you more than likely. So it's it's been a rough year. I won't lie. And I, I want to jump back a little bit into what you said earlier. You said, I don't think he's going to change anything just to, you know, and, and try to change it up to help us 
win these last eight games or whatever. But I got to ask, do you really think he's made many adjustments? Because quite frankly, to me, the only thing I've seen him adjust is what kind of defensive scheme they're running. Maybe it's man-to-man, they switch to his own, that kind of thing. That's the only adjustments I've seen offensively. I feel like a lot of the stuff looks the same. Maybe I'm just not noticing major changes. But as for me, that's kind of where I'm at. I feel like his in-game adjustments and really, you know, next game adjustments have not been that different than what we complained about last year with Nate McMillan. No, I really don't think that they have been really different at all. I think there's been a little bit of tinkering with the lineup at times, like moving Sumner into the starting lineup. But that, but I think part of that is just due to the amount of injuries that we've had, it's had to be a next man up type situation. I mean, I really don't think that the Pacers have made adjustments uh, this season pretty much at all. And, and I think that, sure, you know, we wanted more points. We did. And the Pacers are a much better scoring team this year. I believe they're eighth in the NBA in, in scoring. But, I mean, they're the sixth worst defensively in regards to points per game let up. I mean, that that right there is you don't want to trade that. I mean, you're giving up the six most points in the league. You're not winning at all. You, yeah. you would have to be the top scoring team in the league in order to even be a playoff team. So it, it's been disgusting. We've talked about it that – you know, they mentioned wanting to get away from, you know, winning ugly games. Now they want to get back to that. So it, it just feels like they don't know which direction they're going in right now. It feels very evident that, you know, change is going to be upon us. But for right now, I mean, I, I'm trying to find a positive in the season where I guess we could see with the one center approach right now, it's a bonus back. Like, is, is this what's going to work more? But at the same point, it's just – devastating to not have you know Gogo or Miles Turner out there something where you could see you know them all take turns being you know the sole center in the lineup and for now it just feels like we're truly stuck in the mud of likely being that 10th seed unable to really get out of that 10th spot and uh you know we have no business beating Washington in in the play-in game and that's sad to say because that's still a team that's below 500. It doesn't even seem close right now. I mean, it's one thing that we scored over 150 points, but it, it, it truly sums up against OKC. It truly sums up the season that the very next day, next game, they gave up over 150 points. Yeah, the second most points they've allowed in franchise history. The other game, they gave up 155 to the Denver Nuggets in overtime back in like 1982. So it's it's been a minute, you know, for the Pacers uh, to give up that many points. So what I'll say to that, Vach, is just like Nate McMillan was fired because he wasn't innovative enough on offense and he was a little bit unwilling to adjust mid-game. They bring Bjorken in here to kind of change the offense up, and then they completely lose track of their defensive identity that they've had for the past 20 years. And I brought that up. When the hire was made, I said, it looks like the Pacers are trying to get away from their defensive identity from who they've been known to be for all these years to try to, you know, spice it up and play a little bit more analytical. And I think all of us were on board with that at the time because, you know, everything sounds good on paper when you hear it. And one thing that we heard from Kevin Pritchard was how personable Nate Bjorkman was with these players and how he thought he could really relate to them. We're hearing stories about him flying to Atlanta to have lunch with Malcolm Brogdon. He goes out to L.A. to spend time with Aaron Holiday and DeMontis Sabonis and, you know, flew out to see Doug McDermott and whatever. He was making the rounds, calling Victor Oladipo, you know, daily talking to him about stuff. You know, you really think he's establishing something. And then all of a sudden they lose a bunch of games and 
Now he's lost the locker room. So quite frankly, the question is, is Bjorkren the one to point the finger at? Is it the front office or is it the players? I'm going to be bold here and say, I think it's all three are at fault here. I, I think so too. I mean, I really do. I think that, look, Kevin Pritchard is a great guy. Love me some KP. But I think that this is a situation that he's got to own. I yeah. think he's got to own and just say, hey, we went for it. We swung for the fences over here with, you know, what we believe is one of the, you know, better, you know, offensive minds in the game, maybe uh, a young, a young offensive mind in the game, but it, it just didn't work out. And sometimes that, that's what happens. I mean, I, I just feel like in this situation, there wasn't an ideal fit. Maybe you know, in the beginning of the year when, when there was no games going on, he was able to, you know, connect with these players, you know, from person to person, but they lost faith in him. And when you lose that faith, it, it's hard to get back. And right now, I think that this is a situation where if you want to be a player's first team, then you have to stick by your players. And uh, this is going to say a lot with, with how they handle this situation. And one last thing, just to touch on that Washington game, Alex, they lit up 50 assists in that game, <laughs> the most since 1990, the most in our lifetime. Yeah, 50 assists. Winning basketball, I've always summed up by 30 assists or more, you play great basketball, you probably won that game. 50. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Assists is something that I did not think I would see. Yeah, I mean, it was Russell Westbrook. What are they doing trying to play him five feet behind the three-point line? You know, he's getting momentum going down on a yep. pick and roll. Daniel Gafford looks like freaking Shaquille O'Neal catching lobs from oh Russell Westbrook. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things where it's like Gafford has been really good. The Wizards have been playing great basketball. Like, let's not sit here and think the Wizards, oh, they're the 10th seed. They suck. Well, it's like, no, they had a rough first part of the season. They were hit with COVID quite a bit. And now Westbrook and Beeler. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Kind of find another thing. And look, they're not a good defensive team. I mean, they gave up 140-some points to the Pacers in that game. So let's not sit here and act like the Wizards are some, you know, juggernaut of a team the Pacers can't figure out. No, but when the Pacers brought Bjorkren in, 
it was to get an upgrade over Nate McMillan. It was to get out of the first round of the playoffs. And now there's a chance they might not even make the playoffs. I'm not counting the play-in game as a playoff. And unless you're seeds one through eight and you're playing in a seven-game series, you are not in the playoffs. That's just how I feel about it. I'm old school, so, you know, get mad at me all you want for being an old curmudgeon, but that's just kind of how I feel. Like, you play a one-game play-in and get beaten, no. You're not a playoff team. You're a lottery team for a reason. I agree. And, and honestly, I I might be an old curmudgeon still, Fudge, but I just – I get so frustrated when we when we hear things like – oh, Brogdon, you know, was really vocal about the coaching change or wanting a coaching change, and, and so-and-so wanted a coaching change. And look, unless you're, a, unless you're an all-star or a superstar-level player, I don't really think you should be having a say on what the front office does. Completely agree. Larry Bird, everybody got mad at him because he, told, he said Paul George doesn't make the decisions around here. And look, it, it was a little bit distasteful, sure, whatever, because Paul George was the best player in franchise history since Reggie Miller. There's no doubt about it. Yep. But at the end of the day, Larry Bird's kind of got a point. Your job is to play basketball, and, yeah, we can have a discussion or something about it. You know, I might run a few names by you, like that I'm looking for in my coaching search, but you're not going to dictate what I do. And I'm not saying Pritchard's doing that all the way, but it does seem like ever since that negative – kind of uh, aura came out about him and McMillan. They were kind of talked about as like players. Players didn't like him is kind of what we heard. You know, they didn't have your best interest, you know, and, and it's just kind of frustrating because Kevin Pritchard wants to make Indiana be a, a really fun city for players to come. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but like as they were walking through the through the tunnel playing like different home games recently, he's right there clapping his hands patting him on the back, you know, after they're playing well after the first half. Like, he is all about the team. He's all about these guys. And, I mean, that's his job. I get it. But I thought it was encouraging to see him actually out there on the floor and, and you know, clapping and cheering his guys on. And, and quite frankly, I think that says a lot to me about where the players view this coaching staff. And, I mean, this is probably a hot take or whatever. But if your president of basketball operations has to be out there basically being a cheerleader for you to know that he, he, they've got your back, I mean, that just seems off to me overall. But I, I do want to say it is all three to blame. The players have to just play basketball, figure it out. The coaching staff has to be able to make adjustments, and the front office has to do a better job of putting a roster together that actually makes sense. I'm tired of trying to see them put, you know uh, – Round, they're, they're, they're trying to, you know, put a round peg in a square hole. I, I mean, it's just not working anymore, Fudge. It's not. But here's where what we really have to ask ourselves. Alex, if the Pacers fired Nate Bjorkman, what message does that send to potential head coaches coming here when a three-year deal that Bjorkman got was really only a one-year deal? I mean, sure, he'll get paid on two years, but – you know, he was out after one. I don't think that that sends a strong message to the up-and-coming coaches that, you know, some of the guys that we wanted last year that, well, they took even assistant jobs at other teams, not even head coaching jobs for the Pacers. I mean, it, it's going to be tough. I think it's going to send the wrong message, but we are stuck in the mud here. See, I don't I don't agree with that completely. I understand what you're, what you're saying and why it might be like that, but look – if I'm an assistant coach, let's just say, because this is the guy that I was slamming the table for last year, my man, Chauncey Billups, right? Who mm -hmm. would, you know, that was one thing they said they wanted to add to their assistant coaching staff 
was a former player that could relate to the guys. Okay, look, Chauncey Billups' name was the, the only name that circled up with the Pacers. Like, he, they, that was the only thing that came back. And, the, you know, the track record of hiring former players, the Pacers have a pretty good track record of that. So my thing is, if Chauncey Billups is trying to get a head coaching job and he sees an opportunity here with the Pacers to get that and they offer him a contract, I don't think he's going to turn it down because he's upset they fired Bjorkman after one year. I think what he's going to say is, hey, this is a great opportunity for me. Get back in the Central Division. I'm very comfortable there. I know now what is expected because of how awful last year was. You know, it it, kind of gives the guy coming in a little bit of perspective. Hey, I got to connect with these players all throughout the year. I was a former player. I completely understand what it's like, but I don't want to be a drill sergeant like Nate McMillan. And that's why I think someone like him makes sense. Someone like a, a Jacques Vaughn in, Br- in Brooklyn makes sense. You know, a lot of people say, what about D'Antoni? I know his name's been thrown around again. I think that's kind of one of those things where D'Antoni might be okay because he's been a former coach and, you know, whatever. But I think they need to get back to defensive principles. Yeah, I'm off the D'Antoni train. Yeah, and, and Jacques Vaughn, Brooklyn looked really good defensively in the bubble. And Karis LeVert has that relationship with him. So I think there's something to look at there. But with Chauncey, I, I'm just going back to him because he makes sense because of his defensive mindedness throughout his career. I think that he would be able to build a better assistant coaching staff because of his name and who he is and the connections that he has compared to a guy like Nate Bjorkren, who ESPN can't even identify the difference between him and Greg Foster. So, you know, to me, that's where I'm at. It's like, I'm not worried about it. I don't think the next coach coming in is going to be worried about it. And I don't think ownership or the general manager or the president is going to fire the next coach after one year again, unless yeah. they say something like a, like a beeline situation, it'll, they'll get a little bit of a longer leash. And I, I think that anyway, I'm rambling, but I, I just, I just don't buy it yet. I just Bjorkren, I don't think he deserves to be fired, but I don't think you can bring him back. And now they got to change it. They got to change it up. Yeah. I mean, but what I, I get it in the Chauncey bill situation, but it's a guy who's never been an assistant coach before, uh, you know, for him, sure, it's it's his first opportunity. But what about the Dan Craig type that's been an assistant for like twenty years, and you know you're you're really just this is your big break? Are you gonna roll the dice on Indiana, knowing that you could potentially be fired because it didn't work out for you know the previous coach? Those guys that are looking for their first big shot, I think that this comes with a, a bit of hesitancy if they ask Napier Orkin, But I understand. If you do, because we don't know what it's like in that locker room. And more than any other year, the media doesn't know what it's like in that locker room. If things are truly damaged and and they can't be saved, you have to move on before you drag us through another situation where, you know, TJ Warren gets healthy, but then all of a sudden nothing else changed. And now the players are so unhappy that they asked for a trade. If we have a Sabonis or a Brogdon ask for a trade, I'm telling you, I don't think anyone's coming here for quite some time. That's a possibility. But what I'll say to this, I don't expect them to go out and get an assistant like a Dan Craig. I just don't see it. I think they're going to try to get someone who's been somewhat established as a, as a former player or as a coach that's been an assistant but is a former player, similar to Jacques Vaughn like I mentioned from Brooklyn, because a lot of the players really liked him, you know, and there was speculation that he might be the head coach of Brooklyn this year. 
So I, I think that's the route they go. Um, personally, that's just where I'm at. I'm like, if you go and hire another guy that's never been a head coach without NBA playing experience, can't do it. I, I just don't think can't the players are going to buy into it. No. But if you went up to Brogdon and said, okay, we're bringing Chauncey Billups in as your head coach, he's going to be like, all right, let's go, you know, Mr. Big Shot, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think it's an excellent hire. You know, we're going to have lunch together every day. You know, we're going to hear that again. But I, but if but if something comes up again where Brogdon's all unhappy, I think you got to say, Brogdon, uh, this the ship is sailed. <laughs> you got to exactly. Talking. I was about to say I can't <laughs> but, hear Brogdon complain about one more coach if well, this doesn't work out. Well, it's only it's not public. It's only yeah, it's rumored, not. so we don't know. But I mean, Kevin O'Connor reported this around the trade deadline that you know the the team was unhappy. Uh, Jay Michael kind of broke it down a little bit and said he heard that the players were getting. Frustrated that Sabonis and Brogdon were getting special treatment. And then he also heard that Sabonis and Brogdon were frustrated with how Bjorkman was playing and how they were running the system. I think all of it's true, <laughs> to be honest with you. I just feel like he's lost the locker room. They need someone to establish it. And they're not going to run the same roster back. If they do, they might as well. Kevin Pritchard might as well just hand his keys to Herb Simon and say, here, thanks for letting me be the GM or the president for the past five years. I've got to move on because if I'm unwilling to make significant moves to this roster, then I have zero idea what I'm doing because you cannot run back Trebonis. You cannot expect no. TJ Warren to be the savior. Sure. What are you going to get a six seed because you got TJ Warren and get bounced by the bucks in the first round. Nobody wants to see that. I mean, I'd rather see them get the seven or eight seed and make significant roster changes, but be more fun to watch uh, than this crap. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. That we watched this past year. So, yeah, I mean, we talked about wanting to see them play together. Well, they can't stay healthy, so we're not going to get to see it. Big whipty dipty doo We know the big what-if is... What if they were healthy? Nothing would have really changed. So anyway, Foch, take the mic away from me because I could ramble about this all day. I just I just think that it's going to start with a coach and then it's going to start with some roster changes. And I don't know where they're going to go, but they've got to get a little bit different. they got to get more defensive-minded. They really do. In, a, in an era where no one's really playing defense anymore, it was always the Pacers' identity and calling card. The fact that they not just got away from it, they completely distanced themselves from it. Well, it was a mistake. It really was a mistake. And, Alex, I know that you mentioned, you know, it, it comes down to the front office, the players, and the coach. But, Alex, from reading the article that, that was put out in The Athletic, Herb Simon, I mean, he's given every single coach at least one full season and part of another season. So he's never fired a coach after just one year. And most of the coaches have had a longer leash. It kind of then you also have to look at Herb and say, I know you're kind of stuck in your ways, but what do you want to do? Because he's not getting any younger. And the model of the past is, it's not working anymore. I think that people have gone – they're fed up with being just, uh, you know, that, that cute, uh, well-liked you know, well -liked model citizen team that, you know, competes for a playoff spot but doesn't compete for a championship. And if you don't think Bjorkren's the guy, I, I think that you kind of have to act boldly and, and let the fan base know, hey, we're not trying to waste your time. We're trying to win games.
This could be this could be from ownership too. I won't lie. Um, Herb, Herb Simon's not getting any younger. He's not. You know? And that's why that's why I don't think Kevin Pritchard's on the hot seat as much as some people I don't, think. I don't. I don't think so. I don't because think some is. some people really do think that he's on the hot seat and that this whole entire coach uh, hire was you know attached at the hip to him. I kind of understood that a little bit because, but it was his first hire as a coach. I mean, as a, as a president, because McMillan was already there. We can yep. determine whether that was, you know, premeditated or not by bird to, to bring on Nate for Pritchard whenever he stepped away. Cause it'd be an easier transition, but you know, McMillan had some really good years here. He maximized his talent out, but it was time to move on. But I will say this, you talk about where defense is not being played anymore in the NBA. I disagree with that. The numbers are a lot higher, but the teams that are better on defense have made significant jumps in this year's standings. I want to point out specifically the New York Knicks, who are now the four seed in the Eastern Conference. They brought on Tom Thibodeau, a guy that people laughed at him in Minnesota. It was not a Minnesota. It was not a Tom Thibodeau problem. It was a Minnesota problem. Yeah. Minnesota is an awful run franchise. Um, you look at what Atlanta. And they bring on Nate McMillan. We know Nate McMillan's a defensive-minded coach. Boom, they start playing out of their mind. Philadelphia, they bring on Dan Burke. Boom, they're number one in the Eastern Conference. Then you slide down to the Western Conference, and you look at the top two teams there, Phoenix and Utah. Nobody expected them to be the one and two seed, but you get a healthy Mike Conley back, and you got the defensive player of the year more than likely, and Rudy Gobert, Utah's the second seed. They're actually both tied at 47 and 18. And Phoenix, they go out and sign Jay Crowder and bring in Chris Paul. Defensive-minded players that help, and they also have veteran leaders. That's what this Pacer team is missing. Sure, Miles Turner is a probably the best defender on this team without question. He has been the anchor of this defense for the past couple of years, but they have got to get pieces around the perimeter that can actually guard and not just guys that like to look at the guy drive right by him so they can go down and shoot a pull-up three. No, that's not how you play basketball. So, yeah, I'm looking at these teams that have improved, and quite frankly, you know, it's just defense is what matters. Defense is very important in today's NBA, and that's why Kevin Pritchard pointed it out. we got to get back to it because if we don't, you know, we can score 150 points all we want, but if we give up 160 – we're not doing anything. We're just – we're losing with style, basically. So that's where I'm at. I, I'm just – I'm not mad at Bjorkren. I don't dislike Bjorkren. I don't think it's a fair situation. I don't think he deserves to be fired. But I think there's no way you can bring him back at this point. And, and now we just got to start focusing on these next eight games coming up. And honestly, I'm just hoping that they lose every one of them, Fudge, because yeah. high draft picks are, are a huge assets for this team. And then you got to start making trades to get this roster better. And honestly, I am—I have been kind of iffy on Brogdon the last little bit. I know you've heard me kind of throw his name out there and trade ideas to get someone better. I just—he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But if he's going to cause issues, which I'm not saying I think he is, but I'm not confirming that. So don't take my word for it. But if I feel like he is the guy that's kind of the root of all these problems because of his inconsistency, his smug attitude that J. Michaels talked about, then honestly, I'd see what we could get for him back and, and try to rebuild a culture that I think they need to reestablish. Not just good guys, but guys that can actually defend. Of course, they need you know guys that can defend, but they also need some edginess to this team. I just feel like they're just too good of guys and I don't mean that from a basketball standpoint I just mean this just seems like a 
just everyone on there is just a, a good old sport. And I just feel like you got You got to have some edginess on this team. Someone that, that, you know, could send a message. We've had those guys. We've talked about it before, like the David Wests of the past that you knew were going to keep other people in check. And I just feel like that just, that just hasn't happened. It hasn't happened with the players. It hasn't happened with coaching staff. No one keeps anyone in check. And when we talked about wanting to score more points, because it would be, you know, entertaining to watch. They're empty points. I mean, I tweeted out the, the other day that the Pacers, I felt like, were the first team in my mind in God knows how long that put up over 140 points and were never in the game. They let up every single basket to Washington that it, it, it was not entertaining to watch. It was like the worst 140 points I've ever seen because you knew no matter how much they scored, they were just giving up a basket every single time. So yeah. it's just you got to be able to meet somewhere in the middle. I think that a big problem is that uh, of when you debate firing Bjorken or not, is there is nobody on this coaching staff right now that you would feel confident in promoting and saying that, hey, they listen to this guy, you know, more. We can maybe go in that direction. It's like, no, you would probably need to maybe overhaul the full staff next year. I mean, you don't have to get rid of everybody, but I wouldn't be mad if you did. Yeah, I this coaching staff hasn't really resonated, but no. I feel like it's um, part of just it's, it's COVID because we're not getting reporters in there to give us a good feel of what the locker room's like. You know, everything's hearsay. I did think it was funny that they that the report that Woj had said that he's got to work extremely hard to kind of mend these relationships with the players and the front office. So who in the front office is having a tough relationship with them? That's what I want to know because that's not something you usually see where the coach, you know, retains his job after going through some hardships in his first season, let alone with the front office and in the coach or in the players. So um, I think it's only fair. We do this to kind of end the pod, but hypothetically, what if he does stay on for one more year? How would you feel about that? I think that we would all be counting down, waiting for when things go south. Or are they going to give him the axe? I think it would be something that the perception of the team is not, let's get everybody healthy. It's, oh, my God, we're going to run it back with Bjorken and Turbonis, aren't we? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying if they kept him, but they made roster changes, I think we could get a little bit more excited. Be like, okay, let's see what he does with this. Yeah, but like, I mean – at the end of the day, though, this has been my big takeaway because we've seen the debates every every single day when it, they were playing together between Turner and Sabonis, who should they keep, who should they not keep. You've heard me say it on this podcast multiple times. If you have to change, you know, your roster significantly to fit a rookie coach's offensive system or, or just defensive system too, then, you know, Maybe you should just move on from the coach. You shouldn't right. have to trade your two-time all-star and maybe you're, you know, one of your better wing players just because they don't fit the system. You know, maybe the system should make some adjustments. And that's that's where I stand at it or stand on it. I'm just I keep repeating myself, but I just don't know where the Pacers can go but to move on. But if they do keep him, uh I wish him nothing but the best. But if they keep him, they've got to get rid of the player or whoever was the one that outed this whole situation to the uh, to the public. Yeah, it's like how many trades are you willing to make to to put Nate Bjorkren in a spot to succeed when 
you know, there is, there's some talent on this roster. They need more talent without a doubt. But I feel like when we hired Nate Bjorkren, we were looking for a young Belichick type coach. And what we got was Charlie Weiss. And I'm not all right with that. (laughs) All right. Because right. Charlie Weiss and every other Bill Belichick prodigy has flamed out. And I just feel like Brian Flores and the Dolphins looks good so far, but yeah, everybody else has flamed out and look, maybe it's just Nick nurse is a really good coach who had Kawhi Leonard and some other really good players. And Bjorkren was the, the, the first guy you know, the right-hand man on that team. And we don't have a Kawhi Leonard. We don't have, a, a you know, the Pascal Siakams. We we don't have those guys. So, yeah. you know what? It might be a Bjorkman problem. Yeah, he goes out there and he's like, this really worked well in Toronto. Man, I wonder why it's not working out so well. <laughs> oh, you mean yeah. I've got Doug McDermott and Demontis Sabonis Literally. playing the Pascal Siakam and Kawhi Leonard role? Oh, and then my OG Ananobi off the bench is Aaron Holiday <laughs> or Jeremy Lamb. You know, it's like oh. that, that's that's what the problem is. Like, you don't have super athletic guys on this roster. So, sure, that's a that's a front office problem because they don't have those guys. But at the end of the day, McMillan made it work with what he had. Yeah, Bjorkren was trying to make, you know, the players fit his system. We've talked about it. And, and it was a recipe for uh, disaster. So – this is what happens when, when you are unwilling to change your schemes and your systems, the players are going to get frustrated. I, as a player would get frustrated. It'd be like walking into work every day and you know, you're losing customers left and right because you can't keep them coming in to, to stay with you, you know, kind of like steak and shake, you know, that's kind of how this season's been run uh, by Bjorkman. It's like steak and shake. The guy's all worried about putting his face up in every restaurant that the, the quality of service has just gone down. They give you a, a large fry and there's a small in there. It's just all of it together. It's just run down and it's time for it to close up. And I think that's kind of where we're at with it. A little bit of a bad analogy there to end the show, but I just, I know Nate Bjorkman was the face of the off season because that's the only move they made this off season. But um, it's, it's best now if we just, Rip that Band-Aid off, like I said, Flatch, and move forward. I'm tired of getting small fries, Alex. No more, <laughs> all right? So we need to take a stand here. These eight remaining games, I-, I want literally no part of it. You could just tell, coming up with the Kings, uh, Hal Burton's already out. I mean, it's like the Pacers, are they're going to win that game. And it's just going to be like a, oh. Oh, my God. And is this going to be really trying to run the rest of the players into the ground just to win these games to say, hey, look, you know, we, we got back to 500 or, you know, look at that. We're, we're hosting the play-in game. It's not enough for us. It, it's, we need to see something different in these next eight games to feel that there's some hope, and I don't know what that's going to be. Yeah. Well, we're recording this before the game tonight, so uh, we will get to see Gogo Batadza in action. He is active tonight, but – Sumner is out, Brogdon is out, and Jeremy Lamb is out. So uh, the Kings have won. Yeah, well, we already know that. These are questionable guys. Mm -hmm. But I will say this. The Kings have won four of their last five. One of those came against the Thunder, so three of their last four. (laughs) The Pacers have lost three of their last four. One of those wins, the only win actually came against the Thunder. So they've lost really their last three games. Um, I don't count the Thunder as a game. But anyway, we we have ourselves – uh, lots of undressed this offseason. I'll be interested to see what Bjorkman says about all this stuff. 
But actually, let's check and see because he did pregame um, media availability. Let's check and see if he said anything. Do you think he will address this or do you think he'll just put it off to the side? I think he completely puts this off to the side. I mean, how would you handle that? You know what I mean? I, I feel like just the natural thing is to just say, next question. Next question? That's all you say? I mean, what can you really say? You I would know? just say I'm not going to discuss this right now. I mean, that's that's how I would say it. Yeah, I mean, either way, you're you're avoiding the question. So I think that's just exactly probably what happened. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really imagine otherwise. Yeah, so I don't see anything significantly new. But I, I do think that it's worth pointing out that there's only one year left on Bjorken's contract. So it's not like they're going to have One year guaranteed. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So they only yeah. have one year guaranteed. So if they do let him go, it's not the end of the world financially. But, yeah, so all right, Pacer fans. Um, Faji, tell the people where they can find us at on social media. You can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you could find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. And with just a few games left in the regular season, I think we have a total of 10 days. That's what I think I saw, or at least two weeks, something like that. Not a lot to cheer for for this Pacers team, but if you're excited about the offseason, we got a long offseason ahead of us. So all you can do, I guess, Fachi, during this offseason is throw up your hands and question and say, let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.